Welcome back to Enter the Void. This is episode seven, and today we're going to be talking about the difference between safety and freedom. This is a really important topic to me. It has become more important over the last few years. It's become something that I've paid more attention to. And I touched on this in the last episode, in episode six, I really want to dive in deeper because I think there's a lot to unpack here. I do have some notes, but I don't have this all planned out because as I've done with every other episode so far, I want to be able to uh, flow freely. So here we go. The question that I want to ask is, does safety threaten freedom. Now, there's a lot of people in the world now that seem to prioritize safety over anything else. They are willing to do anything to be safe. That concerns me for a lot of different reasons. But first, I want to start with some examples because I don't think that safety is a bad thing in and of itself. I obviously don't think freedom is a bad thing either. However, there can be bad things that come with safety or freedom depending on how you look at it and how you interpret it. So I have a couple examples here. Uh, The first thing that we could look at is the dynamic between a parent and a child, right? So let's say the child uh, wants to, you know, go play with their friends across the street. Well, the child has the freedom to cross the street, but it's also really dangerous. And kids don't really understand the complexity of crossing the street. Like there's a million things that go into it that as an adult, you start to realize. So for instance, as a kid, you're like, oh, um, I want to go play with my friends. And so you go towards them, right? This is if you're really small, like two, three, whatever. You have some neighbors across the street. You're just, you see them playing. You want to play with them too. So you go play with them. Let's say you're a little bit older. You've been taught to look both ways when you cross the street. You're old enough to cross the street by yourself. I mean, still, you could be maybe eight years old, seven, eight. You know to look both ways before crossing the street. You cross the street uh, because you just got to watch for cars, right? Now, you could think it's as simple as that. But as an adult, you understand there's a ton of things that go into that. There are evil people in this world that take children and yeah, they take children. We'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Um, There are people that are texting and driving where a kid might assume that 
a car is going to slow down because they should very obviously see there's a kid in the road and they don't. So as a kid, you're not thinking about that as much. Like if you see a car and they're going relatively slow and you're already in the road before they came around the corner, chances are they're going to slow down a little bit in time for you to get out of the way. If they're texting and driving, which adults know full well, almost everybody does, that makes the situation a whole lot more complicated and a whole lot more dangerous. So there are things that parents understand that children don't at different stages. So that is an example of freedom and safety at play when a parent has to like physically restrain their child from running across the street. Um, not only do they do that because that's you know one of the easiest ways to communicate with a child when they don't understand uh, language very well yet is you you can communicate with your body and so you know kind of hold your child back and then you teach them to look both ways, whatever it might be. Like, does the child have the freedom to cross the street? Like intrinsically, yes, but situationally, not really, because the parent is responsible for their life. Um, I'll give you another example, just something to think about. You have speed limits, right? It's like, okay, we're told that speed limits are in place for safety. Now, I kind of agree with this. And I kind of disagree with this. I think there's, this is a situation where you have a little bit of freedom, a little bit of safety, um, a, a trade-off there, if you will. Because in a neighborhood, if you're going 60 miles an hour, yeah, like this plays right into the whole children crossing the street thing. You're going to hit something, whether it's a cat, a kid, or some, you know, an adult, like, or you're going to lose control of the car. There's going to be a pothole. You're going to hit someone else's car. Like, it's just it's not a smart idea to be flying through a neighborhood, right? Um, okay, what about the highway? Why are there speed limits on the highway? So on one hand, it makes sense to have the flow of traffic, right? Have everybody going relatively the same speed because that's how you minimize accidents. When you have somebody going 90 and somebody going 50, the 90 mile an hour person is going to catch up to the 50 mile an hour person very fast um, things happen so fast. You can, you can pass the length of a football field in like a second or two when you're on the highway. That's a lot of distance in a short amount of time. So you have speed limits for safety, right? Well, what about when it's an open highway, all of our cars are perfectly capable of going 80, 90 miles an hour with no problems. And you have the speed limit at 60 or 65. Now there's other safety things like people coming onto the highway. They need enough time to get up to speed, things like that. Totally understand. However, speeding tickets do produce a lot of revenue for police stations, for police departments. Do you not find that interesting? So you're telling me that I worked for, you know, a couple of years probably to save up money for this car or in most people's cases, just, you know, you get a loan, but either way, you're working your ass off 
making this money and it gets taxed before you even get it. So you get taxed on your money once. Then when you want to go buy the car, you pay tax. And then you pay more tax when you want to register the car. And so you have to pay to keep the car. And then you pay tax on the gas that you put in your car. And not only that, but you pay even more tax if you drive the car the way that you want to drive. So you, you don't have complete freedom. Like you don't fully own the car because you have to make sure it's registered every year, or every other year, you have to update your tags. You have to have a driver's license right now. Again, I see the value in a lot of these things. Like <laughs> they're 4,000 pound vehicles that can go super fast and, and kill people with no problem. Like, yeah, there's gotta be some limitations there. But what I'm saying is that if you truly owned the car, you could provide value and get paid for it, take that money and buy the car from somebody, right? That person's providing you value with a car. You're providing them value with money. So you have a value trade there. Then you have the car and you drive it however you want. But then you have a bunch of people on the road driving cars left and right, on the right side, on the left side, backwards, forwards, like it's chaos. So you do, I mean, but that would be a certain, you know, if you look at it a certain way, that's, that's complete freedom with your car. <laughs> we can't have that because it would just be too much chaos, right? So you do sacrifice a little bit of freedom there in exchange for safety. Let's go to another example. Hey, it's me from the future. I'm going to be touching on a couple political subjects in this next section, including gun control and COVID. If you don't want to hear about that, totally cool. I suggest you skip ahead to the timestamp of 12 minutes and 30 seconds. A lot of political battles are fought over this question of does safety threaten freedom? You have COVID and the whole masks and vaccines debate, right? Now, I'm not going to get into that too much, but I believe that people should be responsible for what they put in their bodies and you should be responsible for your own health. And a lot of people sacrificed that freedom in exchange for safety, whether or not it, they were actually safe or not. Again, I'm not really going to go into that. That's not the point. The point is political battles are fought over this question all the time. You also have gun control, right? You have the question of, you know, people's safety from bad people with guns. And you have the question of the freedom to be able to protect yourself from bad people in any way that you choose. That's the argument. And I think that both sides have valid arguments. I'm sick and tired of seeing schools get shot up and children and teachers, the, our future, dying at the hands of horrible, evil people who should not have access to these weapons. That is a totally valid argument. And it should not be taken lightly. It's a very serious thing. 
then you have the other side, which is like, yeah, but what happens when all of us here are good people and bad people still come with guns and we're not allowed to have any, we're screwed. And also I like one side trusts bad people with guns, not at all. And the other side trusts a bad government with guns, not at all. Like there is validity in both sides of that argument. And I also just don't think that there's two sides to the argument. I think there's a lot of different angles and that's the approach that I try to take. So that's an example of some political implications that this question has. Let's talk about religion. Uh Uh-oh. Most religious battles also stand on this idea of keeping you safe from something, keeping you safe from sin, keeping you safe from the devil or keeping you safe from misery and sadness, keeping you safe from hell. So when you go to church and you're expected to wear a certain thing, you're told that you can't drink certain things, you can't eat certain things, you can't go certain places, you can't get your information from certain places, or you have to get your information from certain places. And all of this is based around the idea that whoever it may be is trying to keep you safe or you need to be safe from sin, the devil, hell, whatever it might be. And so you sacrifice your freedom to be able to wear what you want, consume what you want, learn from whatever sources you want. That's just the reality. You are going to sacrifice your freedom when you choose safety. So maybe it's important now to ask the question, what is safety? What does that even mean to be safe? And to me, it means to be comfortable. You're, you're comfortable. Now, you could interpret comfortable as complacent or you could interpret it as cozy. I don't really think it matters But if you look at how society progresses, we're always chasing ways to make our lives easier, more comfortable. We don't have to go out and hunt for 12 hours in the blazing heat on the savannah because we can get in our cars and sit down on the way to a grocery store and all the food is right there for us. That is because of our human desire to make our lives easier, right? One way that people can make their lives easier is by not questioning anything. And I personally see this as a very prevalent issue. It is an issue in my mind in modern day because people would rather be spoon-fed because it's easy, then do the hard work of asking the hard questions 
it is really, really scary to question something that you believe to be true. It threatens your version of reality. It literally feels like the world is ending when you start realizing that something you thought was true isn't. Even when it's something really, really stupid and small and insignificant, there's still a level, there's like a feeling of weight whenever you realize that something you thought was true is not. But on a bigger scale with religious or political or, you know, anything else that has deeper meaning, those things, when you realize that something that you thought was true, that you believed to be fact, you start realizing that it's not, it's terrifying. Your world is literally ending. Last episode, we talked about changing your world. And one of the ways that you do that is by challenging it. You have to challenge the way you look at things. So I don't want to go off in, on too much of a tangent, but safety is comfort. It allows for survival, but rarely anything past that. If you're comfortable, you don't thrive. You thrive when you continue to progress. So I want to I want to kind of give an analogy to explain what I'm getting at with this whole safety versus freedom thing, okay? Let's say there's a war. Uh, everyone is ordered to stay inside to remain safe. There were times during COVID where there were talks of, uh, what is it, martial law, right? And like we were, some people were thinking about this and thinking about what it might mean. And there were just other times where we were quarantined and we were told to stay inside. Me personally, I did what I felt was right to protect my health and to remain healthy so that I could be healthy around other people so that I don't get them sick. But either way, it's kind of similar to what we've been through the past couple of years. So you're ordered to stay inside to remain safe because there's a war. Now you might be safe in this situation from, you know, enemy soldiers seeing you out in the open, whatever it might be, but you're definitely not going to be thriving. If you're inside with no access to other people, um, no access to the things that you love, no access to outside information. That's an important note. You're not going to be thriving. So you may think that in this instance, your only option is to comply. After all, it's for your own safety. But this is where questioning comes in. What if the war wasn't as bad as they said it was? What if there was somewhere else you could have gone where you were where you'd be unaffected by this war where you could actually thrive and grow but you were not aware of this reality because you were told to go inside and you went inside you can call that faith in the people that are leading you you could also call that blind belief whatever you want to call it what if there was no war at all? That's the other question you have to ask yourself. You're, to you're told there's a war 
you have to go inside to be safe. You go inside and you stay in there as long as they tell you to stay in there. What if there was no war at all? Aside from not hearing, you know, bombs and explosions and guns. Like, the war happens in other ways and in other places and you could still be in danger. But like, how would you know? What if there was no war at all? How would you know the answer to any of these questions unless you did the bare minimum and ventured to ask? So now when we're talking about asking questions, when you look at any situation where there is a trade-off of safety and freedom, I think it's important to ask yourself three questions. The first question is, what are the pros and cons of questioning this situation, right? If you're more comfortable with questioning things, you might just jump straight into, hold on, like, why are we being told to do this, whatever. Um, but if you're not comfortable with questioning your reality, then this is a good place to start. This is a safe place to start. You don't question the thing itself. You question questioning it. <laughs> So you say, what are the pros and cons of questioning this situation? You're not doing anything dangerous yet. <laughs> All you're doing is saying, okay, if I, if I question this authority, if I question what we're being told to do, what's the worst that can happen? What's the best that could happen, right? Now, from there, you have to ask yourself, what are all of the possible motives someone may have for suggesting or demanding this from me? Sometimes it's a suggestion. Other times it is a demand masked as a suggestion because people don't like being told what to do. And so there's ways to get people to do what you want them to do without making it seem like you're telling them to do what to do, to do what you want them to do. Excuse me. So... What are all the possible motives someone might have for suggesting this? That's fine. It's like, okay, I think this person's a good person or, hey, I trust this person to lead me. But whenever they tell me something, there's no harm in asking what all of their possible motives could be. I'm not talking about all of the possible motives that fit within your your little lens that you view them through, I'm talking about every possibility. If you're being told to go inside because there's a war and you'll be safe if you're inside, okay, they could either be telling me this because they care about me. They care about my safety. Okay, that's possible. They could be telling me this because if they don't tell us this, and we all get hurt, that'll look bad for when they want to get reelected because they're going to be the person that let everybody get hurt out in the street when there was a war and they won't be able to be reelected because no one's going to vote for them because it looks bad. <laughs> if that's the case, maybe they don't necessarily care about me. They just care about themselves. And I'm just lucky enough to benefit from them caring about themselves in some way because I get to be safe but they're concerned about their own behind, right? Um, okay, those are like pretty surface level. 
you could ask another question of like, okay, what if there isn't a war and they're trying to keep us from communicating together because something else really important is happening. And if we're all outside, if we're all going to work, if we're going to the grocery store, if we're heading downtown on the weekends, we're going to be seeing things and we're going to be talking to each other and we're going to realize what's up. Do you see why it's so important to ask yourself why someone might be telling you to do this thing? Because it's not always what it seems. And now we have the third question, which is at what point does it become too unnecessary or dangerous for me to place this freedom in someone else's hands in exchange for safety? At what point does it just not make sense for me to allow somebody else to handle this situation? At what point does it make way more sense for me to maintain my freedom and make a choice for myself. I saw this really interesting video. It was, I cannot remember who it was or what the actual title of the video was. Maybe you can look it up based off of what I'm about to tell you. But it was basically about how shopping carts are the perfect way to explain self-governance and see if people can govern themselves. And the whole argument was that there is no one forcing you to put your cart back in the cart stall when you're done with it at the grocery store. I keep saying grocery store. I guess people use carts for other stores too, but that's, that's the most common one, I think. Like, think about it. You're not going to get arrested. If you, if you leave the cart in a parking stall or up on the curb instead of putting it back in the cart stall where it's supposed to be, like you're not going to get arrested. You're not going to get fined. You're not going to be able to not shop there anymore. Like nothing really is going to happen to you. Now, if you're leaving carts like right in front of the doors, every single time you go, they might just tell you to never come back, but you get my point. And what's crazy is that most people put the carts where they're supposed to go because they understand that there is a system and they understand the importance of that system. They understand that, Hey, if I put my cart where it's supposed to go, then it will be easier for the cart guy to come by and collect the carts and bring them back inside so that we all can enjoy the privilege of going inside those doors and grabbing a clean cart. And all of the carts will be in a very predictable spot every time I go to the store. And I understand how me putting the cart back contributes to that system in a positive way. Look around. 99% of people are putting their carts where they're supposed to go. That is self-governance. Even with how crazy the world is, even with how polarized everybody is on all these issues, we still have the capability and the tendency to govern ourselves in a way that doesn't really put us in a whole lot of danger. The shopping cart's a perfect example. So when you ask yourself, when does it become too unnecessary or too dangerous to place my freedom of choosing something, of cho I was going to say choice and choosing at the same time, my freedom of choosing something in someone else's hands so that they can provide me safety, at what point is that ridiculous? 
for me to require someone else to give me safety on this thing. So we go back to the religious example that I gave earlier, how in quite a few churches or religions, there are rules on what you can and can't wear, what you can and can't drink, where you can and can't go, where you can and can't get your information from. At what point does it become unnecessary for you to require somebody else to tell you what to wear so that you can be safe from what? Can you not govern yourself? Can you not understand what situations are appropriate to wear certain things in? Can you not understand what level of respect you would like to give yourself when wearing things? Can you not understand and manage your own health and what you put in your body? Do you really need somebody else to tell you that? Important questions to ask. Now, we asked the question, what is safety, which is comfort? What about progress? Progress is the ongoing transition that we make from being a consumer to becoming a creator. I want you to think about that for a second. Progress is the ongoing transition from consumer to creator. We begin as consumers. When we are born, like all we do is consume. We consume the information around us at a rapid rate. Children develop so fast. It's crazy. Because you're born a consumer. You don't have any motor skills. You don't have any communication skills. Now, there's some cool things coming out about how babies, like they actually cry in different ways to like communicate a specific need. So there's kind of like baby translators, which is cool. But you get my point. Like we're born as as, as consumers. And as we gain life experience, we learn how to create. Now, we begin as consumers, we rise as creators. Everybody has their own timeline. So that's what's frustrating about school, in my opinion, is that everybody is expected to progress at the same pace in the same things when everybody has different learning styles and different things that they're interested in. And um, it's just it's really hard to like put everybody up against the same metrics like that. So everyone has their own timeline and the, the, they have individual needs and circumstances that guide the way that they transcend from consumer to creator. But we practice creation on small and large scales throughout our whole lives. As a kid, you might draw something, right? Like you've consumed the information of seeing other people around you, your parents, your siblings. You've seen their hands grab the pencil and put it down on this white piece of paper and draw things. You've consumed that information. So now you can create your own. 
Now the drawing is going to suck because you're a little baby and you probably have peanut butter on your hands and you're just gross and you can't control your body very well. And your drawing is going to look like garbage, but you're still creating. What about large scale? What about the fact that two people can come together and create another life from scratch? That is, that is crazy. We have the ability to create life as humans. Absolutely wild. So we talked about like the political landscape, the religious landscape. What about the spiritual landscape? I do think that there's a difference between spirituality and religion. So the spiritual landscape... Sometimes I ask myself, who are the creators and who are the consumers, right? If I believe that we all have it in our DNA to become creators, then it's helpful to ask, like, okay, if I want to become a creator, who are the other people that are on that same path? And who are the people that are just okay with being consumers. Now, this doesn't mean that anybody is better than anybody, but in my mind, if you are actively pursuing your growth and progression as a person from becoming a consumer to a creator, then those are the type of people that I want to be around. I need that support to help me become what I want to become. I'm going to get a drink. So who are the creators and who are the consumers in the spiritual landscape? Spirituality um, goes hand in hand with religion in some ways, and I am going to relate the two. When I think of religion, I think of the, the practices and the doctrines and the, the, uh, laws of that religion. And when I think of spirituality, I think of things that are more abstract. I think of intrinsic intelligence instead of extrinsic intelligence. So what I mean is like spirituality is learning things completely from observation from yourself and, and did I say religion? Spirituality is where you are learning from yourself and listening to yourself. And religion is when you are learning from others and listening to others. Now that's a bare bones way to explain it. Religion is rigid and spirituality is fluid. That doesn't mean that if you consider yourself a spiritual person that you don't have any morals that you live by because that's what some people think is that, oh, if you're, if you're not religious, you don't have any, like, you don't have any defined morals to live by. And I, I've seen a lot of religious people use that against people that say, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. They also just straight up say, oh, you just want to sin. You don't want to follow God's rules. It's like, okay. Well, we're not going to get anywhere with this conversation. But my point is religion to me is very rigid 
and spirituality is very fluid. And I think that we need a balance of both in order to navigate this life. So with that being said, spiritually, if you want to become a creator, you have to sacrifice safety. You have to experience, experiment, and discover firsthand what really feels right and what feels wrong, what works and what doesn't, what resonates with you and what doesn't. You have to experience that firsthand because the safe thing to do, the comfortable thing to do is to just see other people do it and have them tell you what works, have them tell you what's right, have them tell you what you should do. Consumers take the ideas of a few people and regurgitate them. They adopt them as gospel. Religious people aspire to be like their creator. And obviously there's a ton of different religions. I'll use Christianity as an example. Christians aspire to be like Jesus or God. But I think a lot of them fail to acknowledge what makes someone a creator and what it takes to be one. It takes forging your own path. It takes listening to and expressing yourself unapologetically and genuinely. Everything that we are meant to become is already within us. But it takes courage to step out of your comfort zone, to sacrifice your safety and become who you're meant to be, to learn about yourself, to listen to yourself. Some people think that it is dangerous to listen to yourself. So if somebody has told you, hey, it's dangerous to listen to yourself because that's how the devil can lead you astray, then let's go and use that exercise that we used earlier, the three questions. What are the pros and cons of questioning the situation? What are all of the possible motives someone may have for suggesting or demanding that I do not listen to myself and that I listen to them or I listen to this book or I listen to this other person instead? What could their motive be? And at what point does it become unnecessary? So, interesting stuff. Here's what I believe. I believe that God or the universe has shown us a perfect blueprint. Like we have a roadmap to supreme creation. It's right in front of us. You do not need a book to see it. You do not need a church service to see it. You do not need this podcast episode to see it. Everything that we need is right in front of us. All you have to do is recognize when there's a trade-off between safety and freedom or between listening to yourself, trusting your soul, and listening to somebody else. So you recognize when there's a trade-off. You question why. You question the whys about the situation. You ask why. When you ask why 
and then you get an answer, you ask why about that answer. Go layers deep because you're going to miss something if you don't. And then you determine if it's worth it. Okay, if I'm being told that I have to go to college after I graduate high school and then I have to get a job in the field that I graduated in and then I have to work until I'm 65 and then I have to retire and sit on the couch and watch the news and even something as simple as and then I have to get buried in a casket and get put in the ground. It's like you don't even have to do that. You can get cremated. (laughs) That's a really silly example but what I'm saying is that's what you're told to do. And you can you ask why why is that why is that what everybody's told to do? Why is that the thing that we're all supposed to do? And then after you ask those why's, you determine if it's worth it. Okay. Is it worth doing that? Or is there another way? If you want to become a creator, you need to allow yourself to express yourself freely. You're not trying to become somebody you're not. You're not trying to copy somebody else. You're not trying to be the next somebody else. All you're doing is allowing the universe to show you who you already are. There is so much conditioning that happens in our lives from religion, politics, education, parenting, we are conditioned and molded by the things around us. And the moment you realize that you were once something else and other people took pieces of you, molded you, convinced you to be a certain way, you haven't changed. You have been changed. And when you realize that, then you're able to start to undo that process. But that all comes within you. You undo that process by asking these questions. Because your genuine curiosity when asking why about these things, that's the real you. The real you, the creator within you, is begging for you to let it out. You have been forced into auto-consumption. And it it will continue that way your whole life unless you take the risk of asking these questions. So like what is freedom really about? It's the freedom or the right to pursue your passions, play in this infinite sandbox that we live in where you can explore anything multiple layers deep and ultimately listen to yourself. Now, there's a glaring problem here, which is that everybody makes mistakes. And if you go with your first instinct every single time, you're probably going to end up in prison. (laughs) Like someone pisses you off, you want to punch them in the face. That's your instinct. But is that your soul telling you that you need to punch them in the face? Or is that just a primal instinct that you have to understand so that you can then manage? Because your soul doesn't want to hurt other people. We don't want to destroy each other. 
We need each other. We want harmony and peace and forgiveness and love and compassion because it requires those things to create. Anything else destroys. And ultimately, overconsumption causes destruction. Progress is the transition from consuming everyone else's thoughts to formulating your own. When you believe what someone else says, you don't know it until you've actually experienced it yourself. And even then, conditioning can warp your perception of what you're actually experiencing and what you're actually feeling. So you have to be mindful of that too. If I tell you that love is amazing and when you get punched in the face, that's what love feels like. Love is so great. When you get punched in the face, you just get this amazing feeling. Then if you're told that enough, you will be convinced that getting punched in the face is what love feels like. If you're a religious person, I hope that you can take that analogy and see what I'm getting at. You have to be willing to question, wait, is this really, like, is love really what this feels like? Because I'm told that when I'm punched in the face, I'm supposed to feel love. And I've been saying that that's what I feel, but it, it doesn't feel like that. If you know, you know. How can you expect to become all-knowing, right? Because if we want to become like our creator and we believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, like <laughs> if that's the example we have, then whether you want to admit it or not, you expect to become like that. So if you expect to become all-knowing, like how can you expect that if your perception of reality has been completely shaped by other people and their beliefs? And those people, their beliefs have been completely shaped, shaped by everyone else's. You see what I'm getting at? How can you expect to become a being that is capable of supreme creation when your version of reality has been completely shaped by somebody else. We have what we need inside of us. We are all born creators. You just have to ask yourself if your safety is worth risking your transcendence. I've been thinking about these things a lot lately. Asking these questions has, one, made me a lot more comfortable with not knowing everything. And what I mean by comfortable isn't like complacent, like, oh, I'm okay with not knowing anything. I'm just going to not pursue knowledge. What I mean is I am okay with not knowing the answer to everything. So when that happens then you're open to the possibilities. If you really think that you get it right on the first try with everything, that you just know how things are on the first try, you're probably wrong. 
asking these questions has allowed me to expand my mind and my soul and my heart. And I feel like I understand the universe and God and our existence more than I ever have in my life. Yet there is no playbook in front of me. I'm not getting my answers from a book or from somebody else who stands up on a pulpit and tells me what I have to believe and what I have to do and what I'm allowed to think. If we really are created by a being that is all-powerful and all-knowing, then we have that DNA. We have the ability to become that, just like a child has the ability to become like their parents. So does safety threaten freedom? Yeah, I think so. But I think the best thing that either of us could do is to test that out for ourselves. Ask yourself what the pros and cons are of questioning a situation. If you're not comfortable with questioning things yet, it's totally okay. Start with where you're at. Then you question what the motives are. Then you question yourself if it's worth listening to. Go back to the pros and cons. What's the best possible thing that could happen if you question this thing? I hope I gave you lots to think about today. I really appreciate you listening. I'm definitely uh, lost in thought right now as well. So that's why I'm taking a lot of pauses. <laughs> if you like this episode, DM me on Instagram at Nolan Void. It's not Nolan Void Music anymore because I don't just do music. So DM me there. I would love to hear what you think. And until next time, take care. <laughs>